Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to Rex Factor. This week, Messages and Previews Part 1. With your hosts, Graham Duke and Ali Hood. Hello! Hello. And welcome to Rex Factor, where we will uh, fairly soon be resuming our task of reviewing all the Queen and Prince Consorts of England, from Elswith to Prince Philip. Uh, I'm currently doing the research for the next batch of consorts, which entails Joan of Navarre, Catherine of Valois, and Margaret of Anjou. Uh, but before that, as has uh, recently-ish become our habit, we're doing uh, not one, but two episodes, uh, going through some of your fantastic messages, plus sharing a few previews of uh, our various bonus content enjoyed by Privy Councillors. All right. So this is just this juicy stuff. We're going to be sharing some juicy stuff and also lots of messages. Because one of the things is we don't mm. quite have as much time in the episodes because I'm trying to keep our main episodes to an hour. That reduces the mm. ease of getting in lots of messages. So what we're yeah. doing instead is having kind of these intermittent big message episodes. Mm. And so if you would like to send us a message and... Uh, get featured in one of these episodes you can do so by finding us on twitter and instagram where we are at rex factor pod like the rex factor podcast facebook page and email us rex factor podcast at hotmail.com and uh, we're a free podcast but if you'd like to hear more of us you could sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash rex factor to donate monthly or annually and uh, join the privy council to get bonus content which we'll be uh, telling you all about a little bit later you're such a great salesman G, man. <laughs> I mean, I, I'll, I'll buy it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, let's hear what you've all been saying. Messages! Uh, some general messages to start us off. First up, Heather has a suggestion about a Rex Factor book. Dear Graham and Ali, I've been listening for a number of years and always meant to get in touch but never got around to it. For one thing, I've always wanted to tell you that it was your podcast that influenced the naming of my first child four years ago. Might be more than four years ago now, because uh, I think... She sent us this a while ago. Uh, before the birth of my son, my husband and I had been toying with the uh, with a couple of names, but after listening to your episode on Edward the First, it made up our minds. Henry, it would be. No, it's Edward. No. It's, Ed- it's Edward. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I spoiled that lovely moment there. Brilliant. Oh, well, good choice. And she says, I wonder how many Rex Factor babies there are out there, by which I assume she means babies inspired by names from Rex Factor. Yeah, not Graham's and Ali. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, I also had a thought the other day while listening. Have you guys ever considered producing a book? I think something aimed at older children akin to horrible histories with a summary of all the kings and queens and their schools would be a fantastic resource. You could even have Rex facts in there and aliasms, such as Crikey Moses, Left of France, etc. Although maybe leave out sex with nuns. Uh, yeah. The animation images by Tim Mouse would be perfect too. And obviously you have all the content already. And if you did a consoles book, you could have all the console limericks in there too. Anyway. Oh, I'd love that. Getting carried away but think it's a great idea, I'd definitely buy a Rex Factor book. Yeah, well, it's, it sounds more like a, an annual, doesn't it? With the, you know, like, <laughs> we, should, we should do a Rex Factor annual <laughs> with yeah, puzzles and l- crosswords. L- yeah, because that's what I used to like about those. It always you, you would come across one of the regular cartoons <laughs> but it'd be it'd have loads of different stuff <laughs> the Rex Factor and the big big hardback edition well, I think her idea was more a sort of horrible history style funny uh, Rex Factor book but Ali is now inspired for a Rex Factor annual <laughs> yeah Rex Factor Beano annual yeah, basically yeah. <laughs> I mean that is exactly what I was talking about the Beano annual I don't know of any other oh no hang on I had some annuals like match or shoot oh yeah yeah, yeah. football magazine magazine yeah. annuals yeah, I I mean it's a good way to to digest things. If there was a yachting monthly or practical boat owner di- uh, annual mm. that just featured all of like the practical bits they do, I'd buy that. <laughs> Annuals, what happened to them? Uh, in a previous podcast, we addressed a query about how. I'm <laughs> oh, just moving on from. That. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you for the suggestion, Heather. Uh, that, yeah, I mean that definitely would be a fun thing to do. It's uh, it's one of those sort of time and uh getting someone to help us know how to how do you do that how do you, how do, you do that it's like it's easy to imagine doing the here's a summary of the reigns i think it's maybe harder to work out how do we get a sort of two podcast person thing into one coherent rex factor voice it's probably the on a page the challenge yeah. yeah but no it's a good fun idea we'd definitely love to do something like that the other challenge if anyone is looking to help is uh Sending it to the right people. Mm. So if you are that right person and are interested, let us know. <laughs> so the challenge is both, we need somebody to help us to be right it and then just to get it in all major bookstores. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's two basic issues that we need. To- Content, tell us what to do. We'll do it. Uh, so in a previous podcast, we addressed a query about how historians get a sense of popular opinion from the age before opinion polls. Oh, good point. Mm. That someone's made previously. <laughs> Oh, really? Uh, Well, yes, but we've got more on that because Ashley Fernandez has had some further thoughts on this. Thinking of how you could gauge popularity amongst the common people in early early medieval times, we have to remember they likely got all of their information from the church and would discuss what impacted them, wars equals taxes, etc. But it's not like they would recognise the king if he walked up to them. I can't help think of the amazing scene from Holy Grail where King Arthur has that amazingly quotable conversation with Dennis. And he's right. You can't expect someone to wield supreme executive power just because some watery tart threw a sword at you. <laughs> I've got to rewatch those. I haven't seen them for ages. <laughs> that is, is that potentially like your only real exposure other than um, Sword in the Stone to Arthurian legend? Disney think, and Python. I think so. I'm not even sure which Disney you mean. The you know the Sword and the Stone where he like there's a bit where he Merlin turns him into a squirrel. Is that the one with the pike in it? In the and he goes to, <laughs> turns into a fish and there's a, yeah yeah just yeah, put I it in the the fish terms for me because that's the only really optimistic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do know the one you mean. Yeah. In fact, because um, I'll say this for a Tuesday talk, you know, so listen out for that. But uh, that came up. 
So King Arthur has made his way into my weekend. Oh wow! But yeah, yeah, that is it. That and the Holy Grail. Where else would you see it? Like it wasn't a. I mean, no, it's not even referenced in the Simpsons, right? So that's <laughs> that's a low bar. I feel like it probably must have been, but I can't bring it to mind immediately. I mean, there oh, are I... numerous films and TV series other than Disney and Python. But... <laughs> <laughs> Disney, Disney, um, Python, British sitcoms, or. Uh, American animations. Yeah, hmm. done. Uh, uh, you'll be delighted to hear now that uh, Madeline All has some news of Dunstan Down Under. Mm. Only place for him. Hi, Graham and Ali. There is a player named Dunstan in Aussie Rules football. Perhaps fittingly, he plays for the St Kilda Saints, uh, and every time he gets the ball, I can't help groan thanks to his namesake. Huh. Also, he seems to spend most of his time kicking to the opposition instead of his teammates. <laughs> Classic Dunstan rolls eyes. <laughs> I don't know if there are any other confused St Kilda supporting Rex Factor listening fans out there or if I'm the only one, but I wanted to let you know of my true struggle because I know you'll understand, particularly Ali. Yeah. Oh, pain is real. My sister, try- my sister tries as she's a Rex Factor fan but couldn't give a stuff about AFL so doesn't fully understand the complexities of my conundrum. Even when he does something right, I don't know if I can really cheer for him. What are your thoughts? Should I just keep my finger crossed that he'll get traded, or do I begrudgingly accept him? I'd carry on as you are. <laughs> I think you're doing exactly the right thing. Don't change her. Just don't change her muscle. That's great. Just find it difficult to have this in your life. Yeah. So this is a cha- <laughs> the only. This is a player called Luke Dunstan, who I think is still there at uh, the Saints. I mean, Luke, if you're listening, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we'd love to have you on and have your opinion. <laughs> But um, I think I think a name change is in order. Mm. Uh, moving on to Scotland now, uh, Adriana Lippi got in touch. Um, this was uh, back when we were in sort of a fuller lockdown, saying, Hi, Graham and Ali. Lockdown is apparently turning me into a medieval peasant, and I've taken up playing hurdy-gurdy and listening to Rex Factor while I leave. Wicked. Uh, and she, she sent us a clip of her playing the theme tune, but I've uh, not turned on my play my sound, as in so that you would hear what I play on the system. Oh, right, I was waiting to listen no, to No, no, I said I, she sent it, but oh. I haven't turned that thing on. Oh. Um, I, that's a very good way to spend your time, I'd say. Uh, she then adds, P.S. Edgar Schmedger. Macbeth was robbed. The trip to Rome was awesome, and how many monarchs can say that to this day people fear to say their name? Yeah. <laughs> Loads of people would have loved to have that said about them. <laughs> Uh, moving on to the consorts, uh, Henry Durance has got in touch about Matilda of Flanders and Henry VII. Mm-hmm. Hi, chaps. I completely agree with the split decision for Matilda of Flanders. She was pretty good in every regard, but left no lasting legacy or had that great achievement. That said, I didn't agree with the Henry VII comparison. Did he meet the aforementioned Rex Factor criteria? Great achievement. Ended the Wars of the Roses, came from exile to conquer the country by military might against overwhelming odds, and managed to hold the throne against many rivals. Seems pretty great to me. Lasting legacy? Oh, I don't know. Maybe founding the Tudor dynasty, the most famous of all royal dynasties, might count. And mm. and his clever taxation policy, unlike most monarchs, didn't lead to major rebellion and allowed his wasteful son to build palaces we still enjoy today. Or would if we were allowed out. Henry VII was robbed, I tell you. Robbed! Well, that's he's not alone in that opinion. No, probably he? after Edgar. I reckon Henry VII is potentially the name that's come up the most. And then Richard III. Uh, not really. He's just has his fans, but less so in terms of a uh, how could you have made that decision about Rex Factor? Oh, uh, 
Who else gets controversial then? Well, the console We've series recently, so a lot of people other agreed with you about Matilda Flanders. Isabella of Angoulême, also in the console series, a lot of people oh, yeah. strongly disagree with me on that one. John's wife. John's wife, yeah. Um, some more questioning of our greater wisdom, um, though this isn't one we've had quite as much uh, of. Vanessa Murray on Eleanor of Provence. I demand a recount regarding Eleanor of Provence. You say she was the most powerful consort since Matilda of Boulogne, and then she doesn't get it? Sure, she ruined it for all that would follow her, but she killed it while she lived. I don't remember her. So that's Henry III's uh, consort. So she, uh, lots of people from Provence and her Savoyard family came over. Oh, she was quite young. Was that his second wife? Uh, no, he only had one wife, but she was quite young. I think you're thinking of Richard II with this one. With the but she she was used to um, like really lovely things, and then came over to London, and everyone was like, "Who the hell is this?" She was from Prague. No, you're thinking of Anne of Bohemia, Richard II's first consort. Oh, you're right. <laughs> okay, okay, right. Yeah. No, it's fine. I I'd, I'd clock exactly what you thought you were talking about <laughs> before. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Ellen Provence is okay, Henry good. III, and she's quite in, very influential. Mother of Edward I, which I, that's, that's how you can remember her. Mother of Edward oh, I, yeah. pretty influential, but she's very unpopular for bringing over lots of her relatives, basically. So after her, they're like, from now on, the queens don't get to bring their friends with them. Yes, too many Savoyard cabbages in the court. Exactly. Uh, Jenny in France thinks Eleanor of uh, Castile deserved a bit more credit for battliness. Uh, dear Graham and Ali, throughout the consort series, I felt it was unfair that women consorts were only getting credit for the legitimate surviving children in the, in the dynasty score. Bearing children for much of human history was such a risky venture, it seemed unfair to me that the women of the consort series weren't getting any credit for the pregnancies and births they had to physically endure in often less than ideal conditions. But it is the episode of Eleanor of Castile in particular that prompted me to write. While I understand why the dynasty score has to say as it is, could the women consorts not get some sort of credit for surviving so many pregnancies and births in the category of battliness? For what is tougher and grittier than surviving 16 pregnancies and giving birth three times while on procession during the Crusades? Not even Ali's beloved Edward accomplished that. That's, that's tough to um, argue against, and why would you want to? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm trying to remember now. Like, I think we, I'm sure we mentioned it in battle, like you know, as in her being quite hardy. The fact that she's always off with Edward, even when pregnant, and as she said, mm. there three children whilst on the Crusades is quite a feat. Mind you, I, I, if, to be anywhere is probably close to the heart of, um, like. Medieval intelligence was probably centred around Baghdad still, so you probably had the best doctors yeah. out there. Yes, it's basically the most advanced hospital is wherever the, where is wherever the most advanced doctor is. Yeah, or yeah. sometimes not even that. Sometimes just <laughs> local wise woman. Well, yeah, <laughs> I feel like quite a lot of the times when um, like queens have come into difficulties about it, it has often been like the doctors, mm-hmm. maybe like a sometimes a common woman wouldn't have died because there was some basic stuff that the women yeah. in the town would have done that the royal doctors don't. Yeah, that I got all that that was did you get told some of this at uh, pre, uh antenatal classes? Uh like PMS whatever it's called. No. I don't I didn't yeah, I didn't get uh, much on Jane Seymour. <laughs> oh really? No, we got a load of that 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 they uh, that uh, uh like aristocratic births were more dangerous because they were forced to lie down and not exercise for the last two months of their mm. uh, 
their pregnancy and uh, and uh, I don't know and apparently uh, non-aristocratic women or normal people uh, gave birth on all fours hmm. Rex fact <laughs> it was, it was, it's a more normal thing to discuss <laughs> in a PMT class than an uh, uh, ENG what is it N- NCT NCT yeah than on a podcast about history <laughs> Just to give it some context. And like that's obviously indicative of the fact that that was something you were taking very seriously in that uh, of all the Rex Factor episodes we do where I, the next week, tell you something you heard last week and you've already forgotten it, but you are able to get some historical facts out that you learnt from an NCT class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I had to yeah, listen for that it. stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I had to remember I was, this. I was on my best behaviour. It's like I was doing GCSEs. But yes, going back to the uh, original question. Yes, I think we... I can't remember if we specifically were like, she's getting a point or two points for this, but I think it certainly at least contributed to the sense of her hardiness. But I know, I know what she means, though, the fact that it, it is a bigger issue for the consorts having those pregnancies that either don't end successfully with a child or the child doesn't survive yeah. them. For the I, king, it is a bit more a case of just, well, you know, you've got to have these heirs, whereas for the queens, it's like yeah. they're going through quite a lot just to try. Exactly. So, but how could we possibly take account for that I'm not sure we can in the scores really but maybe just in our maybe in battling something like that for Ellen of Castile when there's so many and it's such conditions you think it deserves hardiness points but in the others maybe it's just an acknowledgement of that as a challenge not to take it too lightly yeah yeah it's the threat to life like battliness but I suppose we didn't give extra points to kings because they would go into well, we did give them going into battle, and there's danger of death. I mean, that is more directly sort of relevant to battliness. Going into a <laughs> literal is. battle is a yeah. I'm, I'm so I'm so caught up in consort world. I can't really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, how do we translate going into battle with something that's relevant <laughs> to battliness? <laughs> battliness, yeah, because they might get killed. You know. Mm. No, it's a good point, though. It's definitely worth think, bearing in mind, I think, even if it doesn't work out in terms of the score, but in terms of the assessment of the experience that they go through, certainly, mm. which might filter yeah. into, ultimately, our judgments, even if we don't directly say that's a point or that's two points. Okay. Occasionally, we've come up with things like the patiometer late in the game, which have, still, which have managed to work and uh, go back and, and um, work for the ones we'd already done. Mm. But maybe we can just bear it in mind then instead. Mm. Anyway, um, mm. our, another one on Eleanor of Castile came from Jennifer P, who's picked me up on saying that Eleanor of Castile was the first princess to marry into the English royal family. Mm. Yeah, oh, that was an amazing fact. Well, was it? So she says, wasn't Berengaria a princess of Navarre? She would have been the last princess to be queen before Eleanor of Castile. But she's not French. Uh, well, neither of them are French. They're both Spanish. Oh, was it just about being royal? Yeah, it was being a princess. Oh, I thought it was about being French princess. No, 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 no. Oh. Um, but no, so thus, that is a very good point, because Berengaria was the eldest daughter of King Sancho of Navarre, so surely that mm. would make her a princess. Mm. But the book that I read which about Eleanor, which, specified, which stated that she was basically the first royal bride princess, I thought, well, it didn't say... Berengaria, so maybe there was a reason for that. So I got in touch with uh, Dr. Gabby Story that we spoke to when we did, uh, well, we spoke to her about the Angevin queens 
Yeah. And uh, she is also, as she spoke to, on the podcast, a Professor Berengaria fan. So I thought, if anyone's mm. going to know, if there's a reason, like maybe Navarre didn't do princesses for whatever reason, yeah. she'd be the person to ask. So I got in touch with Gabby, and this is what she said. An infanta, which is what Berengaria would have been termed, is effectively the same as a princess. So Berengaria of Navarre would have been a princess and actually the same as Eleanor of Castile, given they're both from Iberia. So it's a bit strange that the author didn't pick up on it. Might just be a matter of confused terminology, though. Good source checking there, G-Man. So it might be that maybe Berengaria of Navarre would be described as an infanta. So when the person was looking at Eleanor of Castile... They thought, I can't see any name here which specifies princess of the previous queens, therefore this is the first princess. Mm. Um, it's just potato-potato, mm. isn't it? Same thing. But Berengaria was a princess and she came before Ellen of Castile, so valid correction from Jennifer. Mm. Nice one. Correzione. So well done, Jennifer, and thank you very much to uh, Dr. Gabby Story for helping us out yeah. with that one. Now, Ali, your favourite part of the podcast, Limericks. Yay! Uh, we've got two for you today, both on Margaret of France, and remarkably, the first one is not from Louise Brimacom. Mm, okay. It's from Ambion. Queen Margaret of France, not Anjou, though much younger than Edward her boo, refused to wash pots while Eddie slew Scots, but was unwisely spurned by Ed too. <laughs> Jolly good. Uh, and this second one is from Louise Brimacom. So again, Margaret of France. Queen Margaret rode north all the way to Stirling but sighed with dismay when she learned too late that her romantic date was to see the new king's trebuchet. <laughs> yeah, very good. They're very good. Shout-outs! Uh, so a couple of shout-outs uh, this week. Firstly, the aforementioned Dr Gabby Story. Yeah. Uh, as we said, she spoke to us about the Angevin Queens a few months back, uh, very kindly clarified that uh, query about Berengaria's princess status, so seemed very apt uh, point to congratulate her, as she has just published her first edited volume. Uh, so, Memorialising Pre-Modern Monarchs. So, she's the editor uh, of this book, and there are various chapters by historians looking at the representation of royals, such as uh, Henry VIII, uh, Royal Samoan women, Philip of Hainots, uh, religious patronage, and mm-hmm. a chapter that uh, Gabby has written on representations of Eleanor of Aquitaine and Isabel of Angoulême in popular fiction. Ah, cool. Should be right up our straight. Nice one. Yeah, right up our straight. Uh, so, very well done for Gabby for that. So, that's quite an academic book, so it might be a bit... Uh, bit pricey if you're to seek it out i'm sure it'll be very good but uh see if your library can get mm. a copy uh and we technically gave a shout out to them in our last messages in the previous episode but we wanted to give another shout out to the history is sexy podcast team dr emma southern and janina matthewson yeah yeah that was awesome fun thank you very much they very kindly um, joined us for our privy councillor pub quiz last month and uh, did the questions for one of the rounds which was just as well because technological issues meant that ali was largely absent for <laughs> the entirety of their yeah. round Oh, that was, that was disappointing. Um, uh, the what were you just saying about um, before them? Uh, Doctor Gabby's story. Ba, 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 ba. Book on. Oh. Book on. Yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Eleanor Aquitaine in in media. Mm. Um, I well, do you know when uh, then if or if that Eleanor thing is returning to the BBC? That was a great. Oh, I think my mum said that there was a second series or something. Or someone told me there was another series. Have I got a second series? Yeah, I think you do in this one. <laughs> I think I've listened to the second series. I, uh, oh. oh, I don't know. Well, it'd be on BBC Sounds, wouldn't it? Yeah, I'll have a look. 
I hope there is. It was brilliant. <laughs> yeah, so uh, they, thanks for History is Sexy team for joining us for that pub quiz and uh, making sure that I actually had someone to talk to for the good half hour where Ali was yeah. <laughs> in and out. Sending you frantic texts. <laughs> uh, but their podcast, if you haven't listened to it before, works with them answering a question in each episode. So uh, recent examples include, did a girl from Cork become a Moroccan empress? Did Jesus really exist? And how smelly was the past? Yeah. They are, that's... That's my kind of question. Yeah. <laughs> I should listen to that. Uh, Emma's written a couple of fantastic books about the Romans. So Agrippina, Empress Exile, Hustler Whore. And most recently, A Fatal Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Forum. Oh, by the way, I've realised why I keep saying a funny thing happened on the way to the Forum. Uh-huh. <laughs> because uh, Sondheim just died, didn't he? Yes, yeah, Stephen um, yeah. Yeah, and I was listening to a bit tree of his, and it said, uh, and it was listing some of his famous works one of which was a funny thing happened on the way to the forum do you th- do you think that in any way that could have influenced emma's title because what she did was she was she took the familiar phrase but did a spin on it <laughs> no, comedic way. Effect. no. <laughs> <laughs> which is why so many people have commented on what a good title it is <laughs> Have uh, <laughs> you, you let her know? Should she, I let her know? Does she know about the Sondheim book? Yeah, yeah. See if she's aware. You see. Uh, anyway, so Emma's done those two really good books. Uh, Janine has just published a novel. You feel it just below the ribs, which is a sort of fictional autobiography of a woman in an alternate history where the Great Reckoning, which she was saying is sort of like the two world, if there have been like effectively two world wars, as just this one in the twentieth mm. century, and that kind of leads to a sinister society trying to rid the world of all tribal loyalty such as families mm-hmm. uh, and also done various audio dramas such as Within the Wires podcast which is part of the uh, Night Vale podcast table which has sort of stories told through sort of found audio from an alternate universe so like the first one like the series starts off sounding like it's just a relaxation take but you gradually realise something more's going on oh that's a bit scary yeah <laughs> I feel I do feel that's the kind of thing where I can imagine telling you about it, but by the time you eventually get round to listening, it all you've remembered is that I told you to listen to this relaxation tape. Yeah, and I think you're th- you're then you're. Uh, I think I think Graham's trying to control me subconsciously. <laughs> <laughs> what is it called? Uh, Within the wires. Uh, who's it by? Uh, so it's Janina from uh, History's uh, Sexy Podcast, but also um, it's done with one of the guys from the Night Vale, which is this really massively successful sort of serial audio drama thing which is again a similar kind of thing where it's like you're listening to like it's a normal radio station but then it transpires that actually there's stuff going on Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Avantika Chilkoti, host of the Modi Raj, a new podcast from The Economist. Narendra Modi has watched over a period of rapid growth in India but he's also the front man for a chauvinistic Hindu nationalism. Now, he's eyeing another term as Prime Minister. What will it mean for India and the world? I've been trying to get inside his head. Listen now to the Modi Raj from The Economist 
wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Rakuten. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% cash back at hundreds of stores, including headliners, Ulta, Ray-Ban, and Canon. Rakuten is how in-the-know shoppers get the best savings. They shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th. The cash back rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for Adidas and Fenty. You can save on everything you need for summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of Big Give Week's 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Previews. Uh, we also wanted to share uh, some previews of our bonus content with you because all our monthly patrons get access uh, to various uh, bits and bobs and then depending on what tier you're at, you might get access to some more. So all our monthly patrons get access to the Privy Chamber, uh, which is an episode we do after each of our main podcast episodes where we review uh, a monarch or a consort. Uh, and, we go, and we go into more detail on the subject, extra information, as well as some general chat about stuff, both historical and not, including Ali's audiobook reviews. Oh, yes. So here's a clip of us discussing some additional information for Isabella of France in her Privy Chamber episode. Now, one of the major difficulties for Edward's reign was, of course, uh, Scotland, uh, with Robert the Bruce causing all sorts of mischief for him. And this impacted Isabella at various times. Uh, After the defeat at Bannockburn in 1314, she supervised the cleaning uh, of Edward's armour and interceded to to secure the release of a royal messenger who was named, appropriately enough, Robert Le Messenger. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I mean, oh, that's brilliant. (laughs) I mean, what did he get that? Because he went around talking about for the rest of his life about the time he took a message for the Queen. Yeah, maybe. Oh, Mr. Le Messenger. Oh, here he is, Robert Le Messenger. <laughs> um, apparently, he'd been imprisoned for being openly critical of the King. Oh. Uh, but Isabella obviously thought, look, fair enough, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's. Yeah, me too. All um, human. <laughs> Uh, However, subsequent uh, English campaigns into Scotland uh, touched her more directly. In 1319, an unusually united English force went north uh, to besiege Berwick, and Isabella waited for news uh, at Scot... uh, Not at Scotland. Isabella waited for news at York. However, the Scots decided to raid into northern England in a bid to create a diversion or to distract the English army and force them Mm. to break the siege. And whilst she was at York, Isabella was suddenly presented with the Archbishop who came running in telling her that the infamous Black Douglas was close to the city and planning to come there secretly with his chosen band to abduct the Queen. Oh, I smell a rat. Now, there was some doubt as to how accurate this report was, but it was taken sufficiently seriously for Isabella to be bundled onto a horse and rushed off uh, to the security of Nottingham Castle further south. Mm. It was certainly the kind of daring raid that characterised the Scottish leaders at this time. It was Douglas who would raid the English camp later and uh, collapse Edward III's tent on oh, top yeah. of him. It was also Douglas who, of course, uh, along with his men dressed up as cows to infiltrate the castle. That was this same guy, yeah. Oh, right, yeah. Oh, you've got to ex- expect the unexpected when <laughs> yeah. Black Dow's in town, whatever his name is. Black, what is it? Black Douglas. Yeah. 
My lady, the Black Douglas is planning to abduct you, but but thankfully he's not here yet. And yet this giant camel has just uh, come. <laughs> Someone's been doing their Greek homework. Now, perhaps the most interesting question is why, or rather how, the Scots knew that Isabella was in York to be captured. And many pointed the finger at Hugh Dispenser the Younger, who's just becoming established at, uh, as Edward's favour this time. But the elder Hugh Dispenser blamed the Earl of Lancaster, saying that uh, Robert the Bruce had bribed him to create a diversion from the seat of Berwick by threatening Isabella. Not true. Right? Well, neither of them really had anything to gain from undermining the siege at Berwick, and Isabella never blamed them for it. And given the uh, punishment she meted out to Hugh Dispenser the Younger, she probably would have thrown that in if she'd uh, mm. been suspicious. Um, perhaps a more likely possibility is the Yorkshire knight called Sir Edmund Darrell, who was in the service of the Percy family and a known opponent of Edward II. Uh, he was arrested in 1313 as an accessory to Gaveston's murder. Uh, and later in 1322, he was sent to the Tower of London for taking up arms against Edward. And it was possible that he'd fallen upon hard times because he's also known to have looted his neighbour's property. So maybe, not very well off, not in favour with the king, maybe takes a bribe from the Scots and says, well, I can tell you where Isabella is. Uh, that definitely sounds likely. Mm. I mean, they're all just such a horrible lot, and they just run out of money and start <laughs> nicking stuff. Um, it would have been a major moment, though, if the Scots had captured Isabella at this yeah. point, as the Vita Edwardi recorded. Indeed, if the Queen had at that time been captured, I believe that Scotland would have bought peace for herself. Yeah. Oh, that's a hell of a price. They never ever do anything, get a get a, a hostage as good as that, right? Mm, yeah. Privy Council's also got access to Rexflix, where we review films that are connected to kings and queens or other Rexy-related subjects uh, in terms of their historical accuracy and entertainment value. And in our most recent episode, we reviewed A Knight's Tale, which was notorious at the time for historical anachronisms, but we found deserved a bit more credit for what it was trying to do. Yeah, we had fun, didn't we? Now, in terms of the characters, obviously most of them are fictional, but still they might have some, you know, as we said can have accuracies or inaccuracies about them. The first uh, main character, of course, is Will Thatcher, Mm. who is a fictional character. But the idea of a cash-strapped knight seeking to make his fortune through the tournament circuit, very much Mm. accurate to the time. Um, As you said, Halkland is inspired to write the film after reading about the medieval period. And particularly, he's inspired by the true story of none other than William Marshall. Yeah. William the Marshal, Marshal, Marshal. Because he made his fortune reputation through competing in tournament circuits of France alongside the young King Henry, mm. Mm. who's the guy that whose existence you had sometimes forget. Yes. But I he's remember. with you now. Well, I remember that. I forget him. Yeah. <laughs> um, albeit, obviously, Marshall was the 1170s rather than the 1370s, but 70s were always the 70s. <laughs> okay. Um, there may even be a, a specific detail from uh, the Marshall's exploits in the film, because in that first tournament, um, where Will is pretending to be his recently deceased lord, mm. when Will wins, he's meant to take his helmet off. Mm. But obviously everybody would recognise him, mm. um, and he'd be rumbled. But because he'd taken a lance to the face, his helmet was all smashed in and crumpled. Mm. So they were saying, oh, we can't get it off, because it's broken. Mm. And that actually genuinely happened to William Marshall. He did have one tournament oh, right. where his helmet was so bent that he had to go to an armour and kind of have his head put down on a oh, yes, thing I remember this. Yeah. yanked off. Gosh, imagine that. <laughs> Don't have any... That's that was. I used to hate having jumpers pulled over my head in case I got stuck there forever. <laughs> um, 
of late I've learned that that isn't the case yeah but if that's a real life nightmare isn't it if you have mm. to there's no you don't you can't even get an angle grinder in there no <laughs> it's horrible uh, when Will decides that he will pretend to be a noble enter future tournaments he declares that he will be Sir Ulrich von Lichtenstein of Gelderland Mm. Uh, which seems like I suppose it's a joke because it's something of a mouthful of a name mm. but it's a little easter egg because Ulrich was actually a real person Okay, uh, he lived from around 1200 to 1275 and he was a German poet who wrote a guide on how knights and nobles could live virtuous chivalric lives Okay, uh, and he wrote a rather exaggerated autobiography where he does great deeds of honour for married noble women following conventions of chastely uh, uh, chaste godly love and goes on two remarkable quests all of which involve jousting and challenges in which he defeats all comers this is a story he's made up it's it's meant to be an autobiography but he's highly embellished right. this is how i wish my life had been yes um and it's a guide for being chivalrous basically um but that's very much you could see as a bit of a model for yeah, will yeah, yeah. Uh, so it is from a real life person though the real life ulrich came from styria in austria so it's confusingly Liechtenstein castle which is in austria not Liechtenstein. Ah, okay. Yeah, like Leeds Castle. Yes. Uh, and Gelderland is in the Low Countries. Mm. So also a different place. Privy Councillors commission us to do bonus special episodes on a uh, whole variety of subjects, which can be accessed either by being a patron at the special episode tier, uh, or you can purchase uh, one-off individual special episodes for uh, £2 from uh, payhip.com forward slash podcast. And our latest special episode is on the Royal Society, uh, which is a learned group established in the early years of the Restoration, featuring some of the most celebrated scientists in history. We looked at the Society's formation, the involvement of Charles II, some of the leading lights and the brilliant and bizarre experiments and studies, as well as how the Society continued to play a major role in advancing science to the present day. And here's a clip from the episode. So what did the Royal Society actually do when it's not just making fine and noble speeches? Mm. Uh, their motto is uh, nullius in verba, which means take nobody's word for it. Um, so this is a show, it's not just a gentleman's club where they chat about stuff uh, and theorise, it is instead for challenging accepted wisdom and verifying everything through experimentation. So these early years are a buzz of curiosity and a wide range of the brilliant and the bizarre. So uh, Dr. Goddard was going to demonstrate the production of colours by mixing different chemicals together. Boyle would bring in his cylinder to demonstrate the experiment of the air, whereby he could directly control air pressure in a contained uh, cylinder. But imagine those meetings <clears throat> be such fun, Graham. It's yeah. show and tell. It is <laughs> show and tell. Uh, John Evelyn, the uh, diarist, recorded a demonstration of the Torricellian experiment where a mercury tube was used to demonstrate that atmosphere had weight, uh, which was the basis for a barometer. Um, experiments were undertaken in the furnaces of the Royal Mint to see if materials became heavier when burnt. Uh, they tested a diving bell at Deptford with one brave soul staying underwater for half an hour. Uh, they discussed barnacles, snowflakes, the reproduction of vipers, inspected exotic new fruits like pineapples. To what end? Just to, just to let's look at everything. And write, I mean, they're writing it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, they investigated strange reports that they heard of, such as a, a woman who sweated so much you could take a quart of ill-smelling water from her palms. Oh, <laughs> So hang on now. There's still, at this point, it, it's very, very much the, the credulity of a Daily Star reader. <laughs> you know, like... My my neighbour ate a hamster or whatever. 
Well, yeah, so part of the joy of taking nothing for granted at this stage is that there's a genuine mix of scientific uh, advances, but also ludicrous legends that we might now consider a bit medieval. Yeah, but again, all because of them, I suppose. Yeah, so uh, a good example of that was uh, when George Villiers, the Duke of Buckingham, brought to the society what he promised was the horn of a unicorn. Mm. And uh, according to legend, a circle drawn with a unicorn's horn could entrap a spider until it died. So, so some of the stuff people make up. But So obviously, Royal Society, take nothing for granted, they give it a go. Yeah. So this is, uh, this is their report. A circle was made with the powder of unicorn's horn and a spider set in the middle of it but it immediately ran out. The trial being repeated several times, the spider once made some stay on the powder. So either the, um, the legend about the unicorn's horn was incorrect, or it wasn't a unicorn horn, or both. Indeed. <laughs> I think both are entirely feasible options there. The Privy Council... Uh, so, as we said at the start, you can get lots of uh, this bonus content and much, much more by signing up to become a Privy Councillor on Patreon. Uh, we've been increasing our output recently, so this is what you currently get if you sign up to be a Privy Councillor. Uh, we've got three tiers, Privy Chamber, Special Episodes and Star Chamber. At Privy Chamber level, you get the Privy Chamber with each main review episode, um, Rexflix, where we do the uh, films, uh, Pub Quizzes, every sort of quarter or so, for which we do a, a live stream. And most recently, we've added Tuesday Talks, which is a weekly podcast where we basically just have a chat on what we're extract to stuff we've been doing the last week, what we've got coming up, and just general chat based on your messages. What you've been and, researching. Yeah, what I've been researching, what we're going to be doing in the next week, and what messages people have sent us are also just basically us having a chat. Yeah, it's ba- it, it, that is a bit of behind the scenes, isn't it, really? Because mm. uh, I... Now that we have, now that we have to save some stuff for Tuesday talks, there's things <laughs> yeah. I don't want to tell you. you yeah. Think, oh, I'll tell him then. Uh, do you, that really is just access into our into our um, weekly catch up. Yeah, and it's yeah, and it's become very popular. Actually, I think it's a, it's effectively a whole new podcast because everything else is almost like an offshoot of things like the Privy Chamber is to support mm. the main things, the specials are these things that get commissioned. Rexflix is all part of that. Was the, this every week? This chat. I mean, so next year it will be, I guess, our most, our main podcast in a funny way. Yeah, because it'd be what it'd be the most um, in terms of most episodes frequently, yeah, mm. recorded. And, mm. Wow! Uh, for those at special episodes here, you get all of that plus free access to our bonus special episodes. It tend to be, you know, a couple of hours long, uh, based on topics commissioned by privy counselors. Plus, we're now doing specials extra. Mm. Uh, which is basically like a privy chamber for the main podcast. So some more research from the special episode that didn't get into the main recording. Yeah. And finally, the top level is the uh, Star Chamber. So again, everything already described, plus a Star Chamber podcast, which you can watch us record live, where we go through the options for what our next special episode will be, after which those in the Star Chamber get to vote on which one we do. So Star Chamber level, you actually get to help shape the content. Uh, and also for Star... Um, chamber well and sort of specials as well we're going to start doing something called local legends which will be a bit more of a sort of bite-sized introductions to people or events as suggested by uh, star chamber members for us to do a little feature on so it might be a statue or a plaque you've always wanted to know more about in your town something like that um so again suggested and voted for by the star chamber actual actual episodes available special tier as well um we're going to kick off with a couple of our own selections and then yeah star chamber more stuff they get to commission there's so much stuff going on there's loads 
And think about that. That's go- that's going back years as well now. This, the mm. Privy Council. So if you sign up to the Privy Council, do you get access to the old ones? Yeah, yeah as everything well? is there. Everything's there. Oh, right. Plus, ad-free uh, version of this main podcast. So if you want to get away from the adverts. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's probably the best thing. Isn't mm. it? So lots and lots of lovely bonus content up there. As we said, patreon.com forward slash Rex Factor, and there's a whole new world of Rex Factor goodies. And another benefit uh, of being a Privy Councillor is you get a shout-out on the podcast when you sign up. N- now, we finished all of the uh, shout-outs from the Podbean era on our uh, previous episode, so yeah. we were thinking about whether we could try to figure out who'd already had a shout-out, who hadn't. It was all a bit tricky, and in the end, we decided we'd just start again. Right. So, okay. if you've uh, signed up for Patreon, then bear with us as it might take us a little bit of time to catch up, as obviously all of our Privy Councillors suddenly emerged on basically the same day and we've got to get through them all. Not Where all right now, to... so we're at number yeah, one at this yeah. point. So these are the uh, pioneers who first signed up to Patreon. Melanie Riemans, Wouter Veltkamp, Jared Penven, Karen Q, Stephen Kuhl, Sophie Noel, Krista Ball, Sahar Stevenson-Jones... Stephanie Dickinson, Jason Byrne, Essan Rudiani, Robert Williams, Neil Hill, Aaron Tunney, Sophie Lindsay, Chad Burns, Jen Allen, Nat Jackson, Jenny Scollin, Katie Ward, Kay Long, Lucy Kelleher, Stacey Fraser, Evelyn Slinger, Caroline Slavica, and Beth McKinley. Whoa, what a haul. So thank you. Thank you to all, all of you. I recognise some names there. Um, thanks, one and all. Mm. You're lovely. Now, in the Podbean era, we offered the bonus of a comment read out on the podcast. We don't do that anymore for Patreon, but we're still honouring it for those uh, from the Podbean era. So here are some messages from by no means new privy councillors. <laughs> okay. Uh, first up, Claire Schiff. Thank you for all your years of podcasting. I've been listening from Hawaii for seven years, and the podcasters see me through many flights and lazy weekends. My apologies it's taken me so long to donate, but please keep it up and know you have many listeners far and wide. Aloha. Aloha. I'd love to go to Hawaii. Short and sweet from Member Johnson. Delighted to join the Privy Council and can't wait to listen to the bonus episodes. Daniel Butterworth has a question about the historical knowledge of the monarchs. Good day, gentlemen. It's an absolute pleasure to be a Privy Councillor. A question for you to ponder. Do you think any of the characters already covered would have had any knowledge of those that went before them? For example, would Henry Ooh. I have had any interest in the exploits of Athelstan, the first and greatest king of England? Obviously taking parents stroke children out of it. Well, we had... Um, Edward was very keen on... Edward. <laughs> yeah. Edward I uh, and Henry III both sort of very interested in Edward the Confessor. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of as a saint, I suppose, almost more than a monarch. I'm sure the monarchical elements of that would have been uh, the case. I mean, Henry II um, got, uh, what's his name, of uh, Revo, sort of to tell him about some of his predecessors, particularly interest in his mother and her Saxon heritage. Mm. Um, and with- I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? You're trying to prove your legitimacy. Mm. But it's an interesting thing that we always sort of see them almost in isolation, like, right, this is the king. And it's mm. interesting imagining them reading about the people that we did you know a few weeks ago in our review yeah yeah so i don't know exactly every now and again i do read something where i'm like ah he actually knows about this and when we did um isabella of france we had edward ii um when he was all upset about what she was doing before he she did really did some stuff he'd be upset about what she was doing when he was mm-hmm. saying well there was a time in the old saxon days when uh, they 
had to arrest this queen when she caused all of this trouble. Yeah. So you're thinking, oh, so they even even that Saxon stuff, they're learning some of that. Yeah. Oh, it'd be yeah, it'd be so interesting to know chart be able to chart like the popularity of kings over time. And it'd be really interesting to know what all the kings and queens learned about their predecessors. Because mm. every now and again I get bits and bobs, but otherwise I don't know exactly what is the kind of set text for royal history yeah. for the monarchs. It's like Henry VIII was a big fan of, um, like Henry V particularly, Edward III to a certain extent, but definitely Henry V was high up on his list of inspirations. And I guess it, they'd all have like a a Game of Thrones style wise old crone on the council that would take the hand of... Yeah. <laughs> Take the hand of developing the regal mm. brain cells or whatever, have some Tyson, mm. and uh, it, it would completely depend on what interested him. Mm. What a powerful position! Mm. Uh, and finally, Ellie Simmons. I've just listened to the episodes of my namesake. My dad was either Eleanor of uh, Aquitaine, that one will be because we've done a few Eleanor since then. Uh, my dad was a fan of medieval history, guess you are too. The sound of the fanfare, Ali cheering, and you saying, well done, Eleanor, at the end, was enough to guilt me into joining the Privy Council. Hi, <laughs> Jess, I've loved your show for years. I came to your London live show as well uh, and t- oh. tell everyone about it. Fun but not Rexy fact, it was Rex Factor that once alerted me to the fact that my phone had been stolen on a bus when I tried to reach for it to start an episode an hour later and found it was missing. Oh, no. I don't know why I didn't join the Privy Council earlier, and I'm ashamed. Feel free to pelt me with tennis balls soaked in sewer water, subject me to a spot of hall burning, or force-feed me a large helping of lamprey. <laughs> it's weird when you put it like that. But, <laughs> uh, no, we won't subject you to any of those. You're terrifically welcome whenever. There's no... You know, it's tricky, isn't it? Tough times. Uh, and she also sent us a lovely picture of her uh, nor- noble Northumbrian bear, Arthur Edmund Percy... Uh, at Leeds Castle a bear? A teddy bear oh because I thought because we were gonna, we're not recording this one in person we're back to the uh, the Zoom setup. so I think I mm. thought oh, I don't need to get that link up I'll just yeah. show you on the phone <laughs> yeah um, yeah Leeds Castle's a good one mm. a bear, sorry I said bear incredulously because I was just talking about them last night how we used to have bears <laughs> as in real bears or yeah real bears be nice to have some bears. <laughs> anyway, that's all uh, from us today. Uh, we'll do the second December messages and previews episode uh, next week, and then hopefully in two weeks' time, assuming I get my research done in time, we'll be back on the consorts with a review of Joan of Navarre, Queen Consort to Henry the Fourth. Lovely. See you next time. Uh, but cheerio.